Welcome to Greensburg Baptist Church. We welcome our church family and also our visiting friends. Thank you for coming to worship with us. To find out more about Greensburg Baptist Church, our upcoming events, and other church activities, visit our website anytime at greensburgbaptist.com. In 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul says that I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might what? Win some, save some. Um, and so I don't, I'm looking around, scanning today. I'm not sure. Um, I talked to several folks. It's a continual thing that I hear. I think part of it is connected to um, the structure of this church, this building. Um, but people continually remind me that they're not willing to come here because of the way they dress. And so if you're out there, I don't know, um, or if you're listening by radio and wondering, I'm just saying I'm being true to my word. I said, if you'd show up, I'll be in blue jeans. Um, and so my hope and prayer in that is, is that for those that that's an issue, that that'll overcome. Um, what I want to say also to us as a church is that it's not so much about what you dress, it's your heart. So this morning, if you're in a suit, you can go to someone in blue jeans and love on them and encourage them and welcome them the same as if you are in blue jeans today, you can go to the person that shows up in the suit. Are you with me? It's the heart, it's the love that we have for one another. So again, I want to encourage you, remind us again, that we are becoming all things to all people. So things that are not primary to the gospel, we must lay those things down in our attempt to love and to overcome obstacles. This morning I want to share with you from, we're back in our series uh, as we work through the book of the prophet Isaiah. Um, this theme of from Isaiah 20 to 21, God is able, hope in him. God is able, hope in him. Abraham and Sarah are our father, right? Our father of the faith. And we hear about their narrative back in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and that their promise that they're going to have a child. And man, they hear about this promise. They're going to be great. Uh, just this, this great nation is going to come from them. And they don't have any kids at that point. And Abraham's 75, 25 years later, God finally brings about fulfillment of that promise. And Paul writes about this. And in Romans 4, verse 18, he says this, that in hope, they hoped against all hope. It was against all hope that they kept hope because everything, listen, they were way past the time physically that they could bear children. They were way past the point of saying, you know what, if God was going to do this, he'd already done it by now. But the Bible records that against all hope, in hope, they believed. In Psalm 42, the people of God are going through a difficult time and the reality is that people are oppressing the people of Israel and they're kept away from the temple and worship and, and the temple is their church, okay? And they're struggling with that. And we hear the psalmist say in verse 5 and also again in verse 11 of Psalm 42, we hear him like do a little bit of self-talk. And he asks this question, he says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Right? And why are you in turmoil within me? And listen to what he says in answer to that. Hope in God. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I will again praise Him, right? He is my salvation and my God. So at times we have to remind ourselves in the midst of difficult days that there is a call to yet hope in God. 
the picture there of Zimbabwe and the pastor and I, uh, a night or two, began to walk around the village and we went to see some of the folks in his church, but also just some folks in the village. And the reality is, in a place like that, man, diabetes will mess things up in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. And the question I would have to ask as I walked up into these houses, these homes, as he was asking me, we would go. He said, we're going to go and just pray over these people. We're going to go to encourage them and love on them. The reminder is, I'm not bringing a vaccine with me. I don't have anything to fix your diabetes. I can't fix your blindness. Most of them have no access to health care. Even the access to health care they have, they can't even afford to go. Like five bucks, ten bucks. They can't even afford to, to, to do the health care they do. Some of you have that gift. God's blessed you with that knowledge. You need to go. You need to go. But what I want to encourage you with is this. It's the hope that I had when I walked in those homes. It's the same hope that we have when we walk into your hospital room. It is not us. There is one who is their hope. There is their joy. But I will tell you that in that place, there is hope not in this life, but much more in the life that is to come. That there is a place for them. There is a God who came to rescue them, to deliver them from a world in which they live where there is death and mourning and crying and pain, where there are so little answers and solutions to many, many problems they face. And I want you to know that the hope that we carry into a village in the midst of Zimbabwe is the same hope that you can carry back to your job and your family this week. So I compel us all as we look to Isaiah chapter 20 and 21 is this. Remember again that God is able. Hope in Him. Well, as we come to Isaiah chapter 20, we've heard some amazing words in Isaiah 19. In Isaiah 19, again, it's been a couple of weeks, so I want to just kind of re- refresh this briefly. In Isaiah 19, we heard this, this unbelievable words from the prophet Isaiah on behalf of God. And it was this. That there is going to come a day that the great superpowers, Egypt, Assyria, will actually come and worship God. He says that, listen, there's going to come a day when the people that are oppressing you and the people that their way of life is so against me, there is going to come a day that God is going to do such a great work that these people are going to come and worship me. And the question that Isaiah, I'm sure, maybe was dealing with or the people of his day were having to deal with, can God really do that? Is God really able to do that? And so we come to Isaiah 20 to remind us that God is able. And maybe some of you have some questions of, can God really do that? Maybe Isaiah 20 is a reminder that God is able. Let's pick up with you would. Verse 1 of Isaiah 20. In the year that the commander in chief who was sent by Sargon, the king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and fought against it and captured it. Somewhere around the period of 711 A.D., Assyria comes in and takes this uh, Philistine city of Ashdod and overruns it. Here's the background. For four years, Egypt has been pumping out this propaganda to say, listen, anybody who bows their chest up at the Assyrians, we got your back. We're with you. So you go on, you puff your chest out, and don't you worry, Egypt will be behind you and we'll protect you. And guess what happened? Finally, the time came when Ashdod, the people of Philistines, this this western lands here along Palestine, they kind of bow their chest out. And guess what happens? Assyria comes in. You know what Egypt does? Nothing. 
Egypt doesn't do anything. Egypt just lets it go their own way. And listen to what the text records. Watch this. It says further, verse 2, that the Lord spoke by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from your waist and take off your sandals from your feet. And he did so. And then this is tough. Walking naked and barefoot. The Lord said, as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for how long? Three years. All right, so three years he's walking naked and barefoot. Some translations rendered, I think they're saying he's stripped. But I think the, the, the general use of that Hebrew word indicates that he's naked. Right, you think God's asking you to do some crazy hard stuff? I was going to say try that on, but that doesn't fit, does it? I don't know how you even address that. There it is, even address. Um, no, I don't know. Um, three years, right? Now, we don't know how consistently it was, if this was just nonstop for three years or at certain points continually. We're not sure exactly what that looks like. Um, nonetheless, for three years, God has this prophet. Right? We all want to be used by God. Do we want to be used like that? Whatever God says. What if God makes you a fool as you walk back to work tomorrow? Are you willing to be a fool for Christ? And the question often I'm sure had to come from that day or had to resonate from those people was this. Isaiah, you're a fool, bro. Everybody knows that Assyria has no problem flexing their muscle over Ashdod. That's nothing. And then here's where the script flips. Isaiah says that, guess what? Here's the reason why I'm walking naked. It's not actually a sign against Ashdod. It's actually against who? Egypt. (laughs) This great superpower is actually the one that I am a sign against. I am warning them. And you're saying, well, why is he doing this? Look at it says, verse 4. So shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, both the young and the old, naked and barefoot with buttocks uncovered, the nakedness of Egypt. Because oftentimes when captures came in and Assyria, they are some ruthless people. The Babylonians, some ruthless people, man. They did some really, really horrific stuff when they came in to take over people. But oftentimes they would literally strip them naked as captives. It was a sign of, it was just humiliating. A sign of their defeat. And they would walk them out, right? Taking them out of exile, out of their land, naked. And Isaiah is a reminder. And he says, listen, it's not actually against Ashdod. This is what's going to happen to Egypt. Look what happens here. Then, verse 5 of Isaiah 20. Then they shall be dismayed and ashamed because of. Right? So why are they going to be ashamed? What's going to happen that they are going to carry about shame? This is why. Cush was what? Their hope. And of Egypt, their boast. And the inhabitants of this coastland will say in that day, Behold, this is what has happened to those, look what he says here, in whom we what? In whom we hoped. And to whom we fled for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria. He says, listen, these people had relied upon Egypt. They had hoped that Egypt was going to be the one that could deliver them. But the reality is that Egypt couldn't do it. Their hope was in the wrong place. Some of you listen. 
You are relying upon people or you have relied upon people that can't protect you. They have told you things and lied to you. You can't trust them. They betrayed you. They promised they would be there. They said it would never happen again. And you know all too well what it feels like to put your hope in someone that cannot deliver. And that's what Isaiah is saying. Listen, Israel, man. Guys, if we hope in this Egypt, we've seen that. We're going to be let down. We're going to be betrayed. They're not going to come down. And so I might ask, who's your Egypt? Who have you relied upon that's let you down? Betrayed you? Lied, manipulated you? Because look what Isaiah's question is. This, this again, it's this a short chapter. Only six verses. Look what he says as he closes out this chapter. And we... Alright, he says, Israel, gather in. Let's, let's, let's not miss out on this. And we, how shall we escape? How shall we escape if we also hope in Egypt? It's like, guys, where is our hope today? Like, I mean, you need to answer that. Like, he's asking them, where's your hope? Is, is God your hope or are the things of this world? Are they your hope? Are people your hope? Because if people are your hope, I don't care how powerful they are, they're going to let you down. So you might be asking then, well, what about a follower of Jesus? Like, where should our hope be? Listen to what Peter writes. First Peter chapter one, beginning verse three. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to or because of his great mercy, he has caused us, caused you to be born again to a what? A living hope. Not a dead hope, a living hope. You'd say, how do I have a living hope? Look what he says there. It's through the resurrection of who? Jesus Christ from the dead. He says, listen, you have a living hope. And it's because of God's great mercy that he would send his son for you and I. And he says, listen, this ought to cause us to bless the name of God. But look what he says further. He says, listen, guys, I want you to know about this living hope. He says it's through Jesus Christ's resurrection, right? We know that we have a hope that's beyond this life because Christ was crucified, buried on the third day, raised again. We know he's seated at God's right hand. And one day he's going to return again. So we have a living hope. But listen how he further describes this living hope. What he says there, verse 2, beginning there, 2. He says, I want you to know about this living hope. It is to an inheritance. Say, well, what kind of inheritance do I have? Look what he says. It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. He says, I want you to know that the living hope that you have is one that will never, ever fade away. It is one that no one can steal. This is a... Finally, guys, you have a promise and a hope that will never, ever betray or let you down. Look further than how he defines it. He says it's kept in heaven for you. You say, Blake, listen, dude, that is some awesome good news, but I'm just not strong enough to keep it. I'm with you. I want that. I want to go to heaven. I I mean, those things are all good. But if you knew who I was outside these walls, you would know that I'm not strong enough to keep it. That's what Peter says, almost if he reads my mind and your mind. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for what? For salvation. So I know you're weak. But you don't know how strong I am. 
I am guarding you. I am protecting you. We hear Jesus' imagery of John 10, that you are in my hand and no one can snatch you. And the Father's greater than all. You're in his hand and no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. We're hearing this peace. He's defining what your living hope is. It is an inheritance. He says, I want you to know further. Listen, it is salvation. It's a living hope. So we've got to ask ourselves, as we look to see what God can do with even superpowers like Egypt, with even superpowers like Assyria, and then we see this living hope lived out through His people, we've got to start bringing out some questions. If God's able to do that, could He not resurrect your marriage? I mean, if God's able to do that, can He not still bring healing between maybe some of you have grown children that are just at odds? Is he not able to bring them back together? Is he not able to bring peace to your family? Is God not able to maybe restore you with a coworker? Could he not strengthen you for that next upcoming exam? For some of you maybe that are in retirement and you're wondering, does my life have any purpose anymore? Maybe it's lost meaning. Does this not give meaning and purpose to your life beyond what you do? Listen, guys, I'm going to tell you all, all my life, as long as God leaves me here, Your identity is not so much in what you do, it's in who you are. So whether you're retired or not retired, listen, you are God's child. That's your purpose. That's your identity. Let that now empower you to go and live and serve. This God is able. So we are to hope in Him. But listen, the call is to hope in Him. But here's the reality, and Isaiah 21 is going to remind us. There's terror for any of us who hope in this world. It is a terrorizing thing if you are going to hope in this world. And Isaiah 21 is a reminder. Why? Because he uses the imagery of the Babylonians. This superpower that's going to come upon the scene soon. And reminds us, listen, if you hope in the things of this world, you are in for a major letdown. That's what he says. Pick up with me, Isaiah 21. The oracle, he says, concerning... This is interesting imagery he uses. The wilderness of the sea. Now, geographically, we're going to hear something there. We're thinking Persian Gulf area, right? That's where the Babylonians are, Persian Gulf. So probably any of you mid-30s and beyond, you you know Persian Gulf because you you remember that contextually, right? I remember what that was like when kids in my class, their dads were heading off, right? With National Guard, others, they were heading off to those areas. I I remember that. So Persian Gulf seems something fresh, meaningful to me. So Babylon, that's, that's that area. That's... So when you hear that, you're thinking those things. But there's also, I think, something significant behind the imagery. It's this. Wilderness is a desert place, a dry place. And then there's also the sea, which has an abundance of water, but you can't drink it. And it's just to say, listen, the things of this world are often plentiful, but I'm going to tell you, you can drink from the well of this world all day long and you will never, ever eternally be satisfied. This world, he says, and he doesn't use the name Babylon, but he uses Babylon as an image for the world. He says, the Babylon is actually a desert, and it's like being by the sea and so thirsty, and all you see is water, but you cannot drink it and be satisfied. That's this world. Well, he says, verse 2 there, it's a stern vision told to me. And then he says this statement, the traitor betrays and the destroyer destroys. Literally, he's telling us that people can't be trusted and that property will be destroyed. The traitor, look what he says there. 
Again, let's just kind of pull it out. The traitor betrays and the destroyer destroys. The traitor betrays. He's saying literally people can't be trusted. And the destroyer destroys means that property, listen, it's temporary and it won't be respected. So if you're hoping in people, if you're hoping in your land or your rim of your kingdom, whatever you have, no matter how little, how much today, he says, I just want to remind you, this is a stern vision, this is not easy to accept. But I want to remind you that what you have and what you're hoping in is actually temporary. And it can be gone like that. Look what he says. Go up, O Elam. Lay siege, O Medea. We hear that word, Medea, right? So we know who came in to conquer the Babylonians was, in fact, the Medea Persian Empire. He's saying they're coming. Again, these are many, many years before that, indicating that there's a God who sees, who's over all, who sees all time perfectly. All the science, look what it says, all the science she has caused, I bring to an end. And then Isaiah says this statement, therefore. And the therefore indicates that what Isaiah is about to tell us is in response to what he's just heard. The stern vision that the world in which the people know is getting ready, it's going to be judged, it's going to be brought to an end. He's going to tell us how that makes him feel. There's a response that's getting ready to come. Verse 6, he's going to say four, right? He's going to use that as he starts out verse 6 there. And he's going to tell us, hey, listen, here's some further reasons why this is bringing this upon me. Look what he says, though. Therefore, he says, my loins are filled with anguish. Pangs have seized me like the pains of a woman in labor. I am bowed down so that I cannot hear. I am dismayed so that I cannot see. Further, look what he says there. My heart staggers. Horror has appalled me. Look what he says here. This is significant. The twilight I long for has been turned for me into trembling. Isaiah had longed for God to intervene and set the world straight. And maybe you feel that too. But it didn't happen maybe like Isaiah thought or what Isaiah now sees in the reality of. And maybe you're there saying, God, I wish you would come and set the world straight. Isaiah is going to pull back the curtain to remind us a little bit of what that actually means. That when we desire, right, for, for God to set the world straight, He says, I want you to know, listen, it's going to bring about some great judgment. And Isaiah's here and he's kind of reminding us, here's the issue right behind Isaiah 21. Is that the Babylonians are starting to tell Hezekiah, who's the king of the Jews, right? The the tribe of Judah, the nation of Judah. He's saying, listen, I can help you out. I can protect you. And Isaiah's saying, listen, dude, I want you to know that if you bite into that bait, I want you to know where it's leading. I want you to know where it's going to go, right? So he's saying literally, Hezekiah, people of Judah, don't do it. And maybe God needs to whisper to you today something practically in your life that you think that you need to send that private Facebook or text message, or maybe it's time to respond. And maybe the reminder this morning is you need to hear, don't do it. Right, some of you may be here today that you're wondering, right, like you're trying to set up that meeting or do that business deal that's going to cause you to, to, to do some integrity issues. Maybe you need to remind today, don't do it. Some of you as kiddos, maybe you're here and you're considering disobeying what your parents have long taught you is right and wrong. And maybe you need to hear and be reminded this morning, don't do it. The bait looks good, man, but I'm going to tell you where it's going to go. It's not going to lead here. It's going to lead elsewhere. He says, listen, the twilight I long for has been turned for me into trembling. 
Brother Todd's been working with the Lord's Prayer, right? And we're, we've been learning to pray, Thy kingdom what? Thy kingdom come. And, and man, one of the richest things um, that I, 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 really God's brought into my heart as he's been preaching and teaching through that is what all we're indicating when we say Thy kingdom come. It's a very, very rich statement. And so I want to remind us maybe this morning again of what it means we're praying thy kingdom come. Why might Isaiah tremble at what he's starting to see, what he's going to hear from God about the judgment of this earth? And I just want to remind us from a terrifying passage in the New Testament. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Since it says, indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflicted you. So it's a just repayment. It's fair. It's what's deserved. Look what he says further. Verse 7 of 2 Thessalonians 1. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Isaiah's seen what the judgment that is to come and it's causing him to tremble. And so I want us to remember as we get upset with this world and we push back and say, God, I'm ready for this world to be dissolved. I want you to remember as you pray, thy kingdom come, what you're implying, what you're saying. Because Jesus is going to come in flaming fire. Further, verse 8 of 2 Thessalonians 1, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So knowing God and obedience are connected. Some of you need to be reminded, stop just saying it with your lips. Start living it with your life. And the only way that's ever going to happen is by repentance and faith where the spirit of God comes to indwell you. I had a long conversation this weekend at Calday's with a gentleman. I was like, bro, I just want you to know, man, this is not about you turning over your life and starting to do better. I want you to know that the gospel is such good news that God accepts you as you are in the midst of your sin. And by faith and repentance in his son, he sends his spirit to live inside of you to change you from the inside out. That's the good news of the gospel. This isn't you trying to be the best you. This is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Colossians 1 and 27. There is strength. There is power. In the name of Christ, as the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. And so Paul says, listen, I want you to know that there's going to come a day when there's going to be vengeance. There's going to be judgment on those who do not know God. And by their lives, reveal the fact they do not obey Him and know Him. And then this, that ought to cause all of us to tremble. Verse 9 of Second Thessalonians 1. Man, I want to be careful even as I read it. I see faces of people I love flashing before my eyes. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Listen how he defines this. This is horrific. Away from away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Isaiah knows that even when judgment comes, it breaks his heart even for those who are his enemies. I want you to know why it's, I, could, I could preach all day about why it's so bad about the way from the presence of the Lord. I just want a couple of things. It does not break your heart for your family and friends. This is true of them. 
What does it mean about the way from the presence of the Lord? But just a couple things. One, James 1 and 17, every good and perfect gift is from where? Above. Hell is the absence of everything good, everything perfect. Forever. This is not just a temporary moment. This is forever. Psalm 16 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is what? Fullness of joy. At your right hand there are what? Pleasures forevermore. Hell is the end of the fullness of joy. It is the absence now of unending pleasure. I mean, just think about it for a moment, even just practically. No more smiles. No, no, no. No more the voice of little children. Do you hear it? No more those little laughs of children. No more the delight of sun on your face. No more the reminder that hurricane, as bad as it is, it's finally come to an end. Do you realize it will never end? Away from the presence of the Lord forever. He calls it eternal destruction. So when Isaiah hears about it, even about his enemies and even as his own people are so captured by the life of this world, Babylon, it causes him to tremble. So as we pray, thy kingdom come, it ought to cause our hearts to tremble. And here's what's so rough, guys. This is this is rough. They, verse 5 of back in Isaiah 21, look what he says. They do four things. They prepare the table, they spread the rugs, they eat, and they drink. The people of Israel don't hear it and don't believe it will actually happen. So they say, listen, let's set a feast and let's invite the Babylonians in. Let's enjoy this world. That's far off. I don't need to hear about judgment and separation from God. That that doesn't fit with my way of life, my way of thinking. He says, I want you to know, listen, guys, it's coming. And some of you are here saying, listen, Blake, that's not me. Be careful. Jesus said the people of Noah's day thought the same thing. The people of Isaiah's day think the same thing. And Jesus lets us in on something. The people at the end of the ages will still think the same thing. That's not them. Listen to these words from our master, Jesus Christ. Verse 36 of Matthew 24. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the son, but the father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days, he says, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were what? They were unaware until the flood came, until it came and swept them all away. And then look what he says here. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Are you ready? Beloved, are you ready? Is your spouse ready? Are your children ready? Are your children's children ready? Is your coworker ready? Is that cashier that you met ready? Is that friend that you saw at Cow Days yesterday, are they ready? 
Jesus said that's how it's going to be. People are always going to think they have more time to enjoy the Babylonian way of life. He says it's temporary and it's going to come to an end and most will be unaware. And so Isaiah comes back to us, verse 6, For thus the Lord said to me, Go, set a watchman, let him announce what he sees. I know time's come. I'm going to fast forward just for a moment. Verse 9, And behold, he says, Here come riders, horsemen, and pairs. And he answered, Fallen, fallen is Babylon, and all the carved images of her gods he has shattered to the ground. Listen, this watchman that was there, look at it, it says, Let him announce what he sees. We can't fabricate it. We can't falsify it. Guys, listen. We are called as preachers, as teachers, as parents, as Sunday school teachers, as friends, as followers of Jesus Christ to share the truth, but to do so in what? In love. As a parent, I've had to be reminded of what I'll probably preach before I had had children. Now I know a little bit more. We are not called to be their best friends, but to be their parents. And man, it's so easy to compromise. Some of you are tended to compromise. I don't know what word that was, but some of you have maybe had the tendency to compromise when it comes to the business dealings with those people because those people fatten that pocketbook so much. This past week, the boys and I were headed back home from Camelsville and David Jeremiah was preaching. Uh, I've shared he's had such a huge impact upon my life. 91.7, I encourage you, check it out. And I said, boys, listen up, man. This guy here can shuck the corn, deliver the mail, however you define it, man. He just does it, guys. Listen. And I'm not kidding. We had listened maybe a minute this past Thursday night. And this is what he says. He says, any preacher... <laughs> I was like... Any preacher that won't call out sin in the lives of his people or call sin what it is, is a coward. So, man, I've got so much of this text. I just want to, I've got to. Verse 8, then he who saw cried out. If, if you have the King James Version there, you're going to get a more literal from the Hebrew behind it. He's going to say this. It's going to say that, and he cried a lion. Why the lion imagery? Because the lion was an imagery that was used, a person that was going to be the watchman for the city. They were going to be resolute. They were not going to be easily swayed. This person was going to have to call it like they see it. If somebody's coming for trouble, we need a lion standing watch to tell us the truth. Not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. We must get ready. I wonder, is there any... High school or college or middle school or intermediate or primary kiddos that God might be calling you to be a lion in your school? To go back and call out what you see? To tell the truth about who Christ is? Because look what he says, guys. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. Babylon, again, represents the world, all this self-sufficiency. And the reminder is we are so tempted to find our peace, our hope, our joy in all of these things of the world. And the reminder, Isaiah saying, it won't last. And maybe you're hearing you say, well, Blake, that's good for everybody else, but that's not for me. One last time, I want you to pump the brakes as a church. 
Because John in Revelation 18 uses these very words and he uses them to warn the people of God. Listen to these as we close. Verse 2 of Romans or Revelation 18. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Again, using the words of Isaiah the prophet. Telling us that Isaiah's words spoke of something still yet to come, something bigger. For all nations, verse 3, have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard, listen to this church, then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. Do you hear it today? God calling you, come out. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. People of God, come out. Come out. Why? Because your God is able and He is the only one that's worthy of your hope and trust. People and the things of this world will betray you and let you down. But there is a God who is faithful forever. There's a God who loves you and will never give up on you. Who will sustain you and who will guard you through faith. For salvation to be inherited for a kingdom that is to come. A God who will welcome you only because of faith in His Son. He will welcome you to be in His presence forever. Where there is everything that is good and perfect. Where there is pleasures forevermore. Where the joy never ends. Where there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain. But if you reject that. If you reject, you look on the Son of God and you think that you are sufficient in and of yourselves. You will experience eternal Destruction away from the presence of God. And Babylon is all too willing to let you take the bait. So here, Revelation 18 and 4, ring in your heart and mind as we close. Come out from her, my people. Come out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for... God, the fire within me, Lord, I'd love to just to go on, just keep just sharing the good news of this hope. But Lord, I know, God, that you love your people so much more than I could ever love them. So Lord, I thank you. I entrust their souls to your Holy Spirit. Praying, God, that the God who loves them, who gave his own son for them, even in the midst of his sin, God, that you would continue to draw them. You would continue to work. You would let them know, God, the things in their lives, even now that you're calling them to come out from. God, I pray as the people of God, you would give us a deep burden today for this community, for our families, and for the nations. For those who will experience eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. I pray you would send us to them. Give us the boldness of a lion. And to speak out on what we see, to speak the truth, but to do it in love. Man, God, this is all impossible, but you're the God of the impossible. God, I rest in you. I hope in you. I pray your spirit would fill my brothers and sisters with such unending joy that right now, that even what seems impossible for them, what you're calling them to step away from, that it's maybe entrapped them for years. Oh God, you're worthy of it. You are powerful enough. Oh God, you are all that we need. All hail the name of Jesus, Lord. I love you. I praise you. Man, you're good. Thank you, God, for loving somebody like me. I love you, God. 
Man, just love on these people, Lord. Let them know your love. God, just speak your heart. Speak your grace. Speak your mercy. God, I pray you'll take away everything of the enemy right now in their heart and mind and let them be free. Because if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. So God, set them free. Set me free. Oh, man, Lord, I pray you'll do it, God. Thank you, Lord, that I have you to come to. These are such big things. So be on me. But God, I got you. And so, man, Lord, it fills me with joy today. Joy, joy, joy today for them. I pray it in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Man, God loves you so much today. I'd love to give every one of you a hug right now. He loves you so much. He cares for you so much. Are you going to worship this God? Let's worship Him together. Come on. This God who loves you. This God who's calling you out. Man, would you come today? This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.